Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Welcome back to the Scoop, AlScoop.com's podcast. This is season seven, episode 11. I'm John DiCarlo. Sam Cohn and Dante Colinelli are with me again. Kyle Gauss is off this week. Sam, what number are you going to butcher for us this week? This is episode 11, right? Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas. Um, Someone did their homework. No, no, you just know this off the top of your head? Well, Kyrie Irving, I definitely know. I'm... 99% 99% sure the old Isaiah Thomas, the, the original Isaiah Thomas Correct. was 11. Yes. Good, go- uh, good good job. Was Drew Bledsoe 11? Or am I yeah, making that up? That was, that yeah. was going to be mine, Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, look at yeah. me. Look at you, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Like Drew Bledsoe. It's the, it's the low numbers. I'm okay. Uh, no, nah, it's not even. Anything below 10 is your kryptonite. Exactly. Dante, anything? Well, he stole mine. Mine was going to be Drew Bledsoe. Um, that was the only one that I could come up with. I'm not good at this either. I just happen to not screw up the, the subject line of an email. So I get out of it every week. Teddy, <laughs> Teddy Williams episode. <laughs> Would it be uh, worse if it was the subject line of the email? Cause I put it in the body. <laughs> <laughs> Dante Culpepper. He was 11. Yes. Dante Culpepper. Dante Culpepper, Donovan McNabb, Tim Couch, and Achilles Smith were all in the same draft class. Achilles Smith turned out to be a bust. Culpepper, I don't know that you could call Culpepper a bust. Didn't have McNabb's career. Tim Couch was drafted number one overall and just never really panned out. Tim Couch, Dante scouted Tim Couch back when he was one. (laughs) Were you alive when Tim Couch was drafted? What year were you born? Uh, 99. That was the 99 draft, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Dante was I mean, just out of- I'm going to Google it. I'm going to Google it. I came right out of the womb and I was like, right Tim's out of couch. the womb, yeah. right out of the womb. And he's like, I don't know if I like his hips. <laughs> Dante, Dante was one, had like an extra sketch and it was, yeah. writing, it was writing notes, uh, scouting notes. Yeah, that was 99. Yeah. yeah. Dante was just like, just, just slinging back Gerber baby food and asking for all 22 film. Like, <laughs> Dante was very upset. Too young for this, Dante. Oh, I'm I'm still upset. We're going way off. Game Pass has told me for two straight days that the film will be up 24 hours before the game. Guess what? I still don't have the film. And I'm. I walk into class. I walk into class. Say the first thing Dante says. Where's the freaking all 22? (laughs) (laughs) Like Dante, I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy. I'm so annoyed. I'm just trying to do my job and you know, I pay for this and they, they don't put it up. It's like this every week. It's ridiculous. Mm. Well, well, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I don't live in your scouting world, but we will utilize your knowledge during this episode of the podcast as, as we always do on season seven, episode 11. Yeah. I'm not a bad segue. I've had better. So uh, yeah, we got some some good stuff for you guys this week. We'll tell we'll preview Temple's upcoming game against USF. Uh, have some recruiting updates for you with two new verbal commitments from Temple football program. Uh, we've got mailbag questions about uh, the potential expansion and the addition of six new programs to the American Athletic Conference. I'll get into that, like I said, in the mailbag. Uh, we talked a little bit about you know 
just everything that went wrong in the, in the Cincinnati game, Temple's had a bye week. So they are, again, we've talked about this before. They're three and three. If you looked at things at the beginning of the season, you'd say, okay, if you're a fan, you take that. But of course it's how they got to three and three. So now they travel down to Tampa, uh, to Raymond James stadium to play USF, uh, USF team. That's frankly is, is not very good, but somehow favored in this game. Um, Again, it's it's an opportunity. I would think, at least on paper, this this game seems to be tailor made for Temple to get back on track. Dante already has already filed this preview for us, which we'll have later for you this weekend. Um, you know, he'll talk to you in a second about how their defense, their base defense that they run this three three five defense is is geared more to stopping the pass. And Temple really needs to establish a ground game. We've seen flashes from Ed Sadie. We've seen flashes from Kyle Dobbins. We've seen a little bit here and there from Trey Blair before he got hurt catching the ball out of the backfield. But, you know, Saturday night might be a good time to, to get the run game established. Um, a couple of things give me pause here. I mean, it should be it should be a Temple win, although USF is favored, despite the fact that they have not beaten an FBS team in 17 in their last 17 games. So their one lone win comes uh, this season against Florida A&M. But Temple hasn't always played well. Uh, and, and Tampa, even Matt Rule had problems winning down there when, when USF had players like, uh, like some Marlon Mack. But it should be a winnable game. Uh, Dante, when you look at this USF team, like I said, you handled the preview for us. What, what do you see in the Bulls? Yeah, I see a team that is still very much rebuilding uh, their program and trying to find where they're going to be successful. You mentioned the three-three-five defense. Uh, their head coach is the former Clemson defensive coordinator, um, so he very much has that uh, background in defense and kind of what is going to be successful. Um, and even, you know, when we talked to Rod Carey on Monday, he kind of mentioned that that defense is going to lean more towards stopping the RPOs. Um, you know, when you have five people in the secondary, that's typically two extra safeties. I forget what they call them off the top of my head, but, uh, as temple does, they have a ridiculous name. So I, you know, those players, they're there to, to stop the RPOs. They're there to add an extra body in the middle of the field. They're going to make it difficult for you to read and single out a, a player. But I mean, frankly, they haven't, they haven't done that good of a job on defense this year. We can talk about scheme and, and you know what it's supposed to do all we want, but uh, they have struggled to stop anybody from doing anything. Frankly, they have one of the worst rushing defenses in the league, which obviously the three, three, five, like temple, like we've talked about on the show with temple, um, you know, makes it hard to stop the run, but they are really not stopping the run. They're giving up over 220 yards rushing per game, which is absurd. Uh, and then they're not really stopping anybody in the passing game either. And then you flip onto the offense. Uh, you have a, a quarterback in McLean, who's much more of a runner than a thrower. He's thrown just one touchdown pass this year. Their, uh, their top running back has 10 rushing touchdowns, but I believe he has something like 280 ish yards, which isn't much uh, this season. So this is a team that struggles to move the ball, frankly, and, and struggles to stop other teams from moving the ball. So uh, I agree with you, John. I, th I think that this should be a Temple victory. Uh, there is nothing, you know, diving into, uh, you know, watching some of their games, USF, and, and diving into their depth chart and kind of reviewing their statistics. There's nothing about this team that uh, screams, you know, upset here. But ironically, Temple would be the upset team since they are somehow not favored uh, in this game. But, you know, they're still rebuilding. They really are. They're one in five. Like you said, they only beat Florida A&M. So, I mean, this is, like you said, a get right game for Temple. They haven't been able to run the ball all year. This is your opportunity to figure that running back room out a little bit. 
one thing that that I think of, and I don't know if I'm making too much of this. I was actually talking to Pat Egan on the Fanatic this morning about it with the weekly hit that I do with him. So USF is one and five. Now they have played NC State in their opener. Then they played Florida. They have their win over Florida A&M. Then they played at BYU, uh, lost to obviously a ranked and undefeated SMU team. Then they lost lost last Saturday to Tulsa, thirty two to thirty one. Is this a, a USF team that got knocked around early due to a, a, a decently tough schedule? And you know, I, I, again, I don't think the Temple should be the Temple. Certainly not in the position to be underestimating anybody or looking past anybody certainly but is there anything that you look at with these guys and say all right I mean obviously their quarterback runs more than he throws it their defense hasn't been great but is this at all a situation where this is a young team that's gotten knocked around by a good schedule or am I overblowing that I don't think you're overblowing I mean they've certainly had a, a tough go of it with the opponents that they've drawn um, they ran into a buzzsaw in Florida when Florida was still playing good. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's crazy, but, you know, um, they weren't competitive in any of those football games. I, th- I think if they were competitive, I would be a little bit more um, on the fence about this one. But they, I mean, they were not even remotely competitive, but certainly, yeah, I, I would expect them to play better against Temple than they did against those other teams. I think it would be foolish not to expect that. So, no, I, I don't think you're crazy, John. Not at all. So. One of the, the the things that we've talked about throughout this season is the fact that the, the the offensive line came into the season with, I think, like the seventh most starts among its returning players, but that didn't mean that that experience was good experience. And we've kind of seen that time and again, again, that, that, that offensive line was just flat out really just not competitive against Cincinnati. Again, we've talked about the fact that it's a, a very good Cincinnati defense that they that they played. Uh, a good, good secondary to be sure, good linebackers, but you know, Dewan Mathis was really just running for his life. Most of the night he got sacked five times. Justin Lynch got sacked once. Um, I uh, asked Rod Carey about the offensive line on Mondays uh, in his weekly Monday session with reporters. And um, I asked him about um, whether or not he, he talked about Michael Neese and he said that Michael Neese, the right tackle, who is day-to-day, um, we'll get to that more in a second, it thinks he's playing the best football of his career, like the best football, you know, you know, recently. Um, and I uh, talked about that, and then I asked him about how he felt. You know, I think I asked him, you know, is, the, is this offensive line, how's the rest of the offensive line playing? Are they playing up to your expectations? And here's what he said. Not up to our standard at this point, um, you know, and that's been a, uh, you know, frustrating thing because, we certainly feel like uh, we can be playing better up there. Um, we need to get that right. And we spent a lot of time this uh, this week really addressing that and um, creating that uh, competition, which eventually pushes everybody to be better. And some of that's been sparked with Mike being out, right? You have to get other guys in there. And so the competition starts to go, which is a, a good, positive thing for us. All right. Question for you guys. Two-part question. Do you guys think that Michael Neese is playing as well as Rod Carey thinks he's playing? And do you see this offensive line making any improvements in the coming weeks? Because they, they, you know, it's an obvious statement, but they have to, because again, they had, I we certainly didn't expect them to beat Cincinnati, but they had virtually no shot of getting anything done on defense. I, I understand that maybe 
maybe Mike Uramovich, not that I would necessarily agree with this, seemed af- afraid to throw down field against a, a very good secondary, but God, they had no time to set anything up because the offensive line was so bad. But do you guys agree with what Carrie said about Nice? And do you also think that there's a chance of this offensive line, you know, pulling things together in the next six weeks? I think that, well, two things. One, uh, according to the media guide for this week, Michael Nice was graded out by pro football focus as like a top 20 lineman um, in the nation. So he was at least playing well enough to, to get to that point. And then I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they were doing at least okay until he got hurt. And then things seemed to kind of spiral. I mean, not to say they were doing amazing. It was Cincinnati, but the offensive line was seeming to, to do seemingly doing okay until, uh, until he got hurt and then things kind of started to fall apart. So I think he's day to day, Adam Klein had said on Tuesday that he, ex- that he's playing, he's practicing as if, and he expects, uh, needs to play but who knows of course he's day-to-day anything can happen throughout the week but gathering from those two things I think that at least Michael Neese is doing well enough uh the offensive line as a whole is definitely not yeah I would agree with that I think that I don't know I mean maybe it's Michael Neese's best football of his career I mean if it is then we are hopping over a low stick at least in my opinion Um, and and like, I think he's been perfectly fine. I think like fine is the best word to describe what we've seen from Michael Neese this year. So obviously losing him is going to be big if he can't play in this game, the rest of the line, I mean, they just haven't been good. Like, I I don't really know how to better phrase that. Like, you know, I think when we did like our, uh, we had a a mailbag question last week was like, you know, who's been a surprise player for you. Who's been a disappointing player. And I, my disappointing player was CJ Perez. Like, I just don't think that he's been very good this year. Uh, you know, Adam Klein has been not the best. He's given up a lot of pressures. He's getting beat easily inside and stuff. Wisdom course, he's a young player. You know, I think uh, leniency on him, you know, he hasn't really played as much football as some of the other guys. So I understand giving him time to develop. You know, you look at Isaac Moore at left tackle. I, I think that he's really struggled out there, especially with speed on the outside. It just doesn't seem like he has the, the, the juice. So, you know, he might honestly be a guard if we're being completely frank. Um, and, and I just think that they they really, you know, pass blocking has been OK sometimes, but like run blocking has just has not been there at any point this season. Uh, they they don't move people off the ball. And I think we talked about this on last week's show, too, is like, you know, you need to have some kind of a ground element in college football. Uh, it's not the NFL. You cannot rely on these college quarterbacks, you know, unless you have the Trevor Lawrence's and the Justin Fields of the world. And even if you watch, you know. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields film from last year, you'll see how state and Clemson can run the football and they got NFL running backs back there too. And, and my point is to say that like, you need to have some kind of a consistent running element and Temple's offensive lines, you know, prohibits them from doing that in a lot of ways because they just don't move anybody. Um, you know, even we saw it right fourth and short, they tried to run the ball against Memphis. They got nothing, no movement, a ton of penetration. And that that's what it's like on most runs. And it's hard for the running back to really do anything with that. So uh, pass blocking, there's some signs that I think that this line can gel together and, and improve the back half of the year, but run blocking wasn't good last year and it has not been good this year. So I, I think that honestly, that's probably just who they are at this point. It's just not a good run blocking line. And I don't think they performed well this year. I mean, you kind of touched on it already, but, uh, what is it going to take for these guys to win again? It's, it's, it's a game that temple should win the, the, Vegas doesn't think Temple should be favored and they're not favored for whatever that's worth. But what does Temple need to do to, to win this game? Because again, for as up and down as they've been, this is a very winnable game Saturday. They could go to four and three. We'll put them one, one game closer to, to bowl eligibility. 
what do they need to do Saturday to pull out a win down in Tampa? If I'm not mistaken, USF is in a similar boat where they have very much not played well in first quarters at all this season, uh, similar to Temple. So in that sense, maybe the maybe the answer is that Temple has to, and this is something we've said pretty much every week if they're going to win, but they have to strike first. They have to be able to move the ball down the field. They have to put points up on the board early. USF could potentially be a similar team. Now, I don't want to put them in the same realm as Wagner and Akron, as teams like if they go down early, they could come back and win those games and blow them out, whatever. But in a, in a conference game, I think against a team that isn't that great but is favored, you have to strike first. You have to be able to drive the ball down the field. And it's worth noting that, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure this is the healthiest Temple has been offensively since the Rutgers game. They'll have Randall Jones and Jaden Blue. They'll have Justin Lynch. They'll have a healthy backfield. David Mark Robinson, uh, I think might be the, I think is the, I believe is the only skill position player that uh, we know for a fact will not be playing on Saturday. Michael Neese's day to day. But other than that, this offense is extremely healthy. Hey, Rod Carey City still has some some healing to do, right? Along with yeah. him and De- Deshaun Winston, we're not talking about as a skill position player, but but yeah, David Mark Robinson's still out. But um, yeah they have a chance of being as healthy as, as they've been in a while, but yeah, Temple has been outscored what 60 to seven uh, in first quarters this season. I'm trying to look right now at yeah. USF has been outscored 48 to 13. Not much, not much better uh, in the, in the first quarter. So uh, not much better at all there. So yeah, two teams that have been plagued by the classic slow starts. So um Dante, do you think they can? I mean, can they get the ground game going? Is this the game where it, where you have to have to do it, or do you think do you think USF would adjust their scheme at all against Temple this week? I would. I mean, it's tough. I think if you are USF, right, you're probably going to come into this game and you're going to go like, all right, we're playing a bad running team. Maybe we don't get gashed as much as we usually get gashed, and we're going to stick with what we do, and then we try and you know take away their strength, which for Temple right now, the best way that they move the ball uh, all year has been throwing it. Um, so I, I think if you're South Florida, you're going to want to come in and, and stick to your guns and just hope that you can hold up well enough against the run uh, that you can let the strength of your defense take away Temple's best strength. And then you're going to put Temple in a tough spot if they can't run the ball and you are able to stop them. But I think that this is the game to get it going. Uh, South Florida's run defense is not just bad per American standards. It's bad per the country standards. Like it it is like really not good. They're giving up over 220 yards rushing per game. I think they're giving up like six yards a carry or something, you know, ridiculous. So like if, if you can't run on these guys, you cannot run on anybody like that, that, like that's where I'm coming from with it. Right. Like this is a team that is, giving you a light box on purpose, right? They're only putting six players really in the box. I mean, you know, the, the overhang guys, if you want to say that they're in the box, sure. Why not? You know, but at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're really only putting six immediate defenders on you in the box uh, at all times at most, right? Like it'll be fewer than that. And, and other times. So if you can't run on South Florida, you can't run on anybody. I mean, this is just one of the best, one of the worst rushing defenses in the country and they are giving you the running game. Like they, they will give it to you. They don't care if you get four yards on first down because they're going to stop you on third and four when you try to throw it. So I, if you can't run on them, you have a problem. So we'll see what happens. Prediction time. What do you have? 
Okay. I like Temple, uh, despite Vegas. I, I think that the Owls uh, pull it out 24-17. I think it's a little bit closer than maybe you guys have it, but um, I think it's going to be a bit of a sloppy game, if I had to guess. Sam? I'm going to take Temple to 21-10. to 21-10? Well, good, uh, good performance by the defense. I can't remember what I gave Pat today on the Fanatic. I think it was something like uh, – I don't know if I said 24. I don't know if I said 24, 17. I'll go with, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with 27, 14. Sounds good. Sounds about right. We'll see. Pat always teases. And if you're right, I... if, if you're right, you get a free owl scoop t-shirt. Yes. I get my own free, free owl scoop t-shirt. So, <laughs> um, yes. So mentioned at, at the outset of the show, the temple did pick up two verbal commitments uh, over the past week, one in Jackson Pruitt, an offensive lineman from Detroit's Cast Tech, and uh, Corey Yeoman, an outside linebacker from Clearwater Academy down in Florida, who's originally from South Jersey and had played at Atlantic City High School. So um, in, uh, in, in Jackson Pruitt, Dante kind of tipped us off uh, to this one, uh, a scout that he talks to. Uh, had said that Michigan State had, had taken a look at him. If you look at the, the offers that that the Jackson Pruitt had during the course of his recruitment at different times. He's got some impressive offers. Um, can't say I've seen either one of these guys play the alscoop.com budget has not afforded us the opportunity to fly out to Detroit to eat deep dish pizza and watch high school football, nor has it allowed us to fly down to Clearwater to eat grill grouper sandwiches and watch high school football down there either. So, but I mean, actually, you know, at, at linebacker, if Corey Yeoman comes in and ends up playing linebacker, you add a, a guy there to, to a position where I think they do have some good young depth, but offensively on the offensive line, as we've been talking about ad nauseum, they really need some, some new pieces there. So um, this first clip we're going to play from you, uh, Caden Steele from our staff, talk to both guys. You can check out his content uh, up on the site. Now, um, if you're an alscoop.com subscriber, you can, you can uh, read his stories uh, and Caden's uh, stuff that he got from Jackson Pruitt and from Corey Yeoman. In this first clip you're going to hear, this is Jackson Pruitt talking about uh, his relationship with Joe Tripodi, Temple's uh, offensive line coach, and uh, him being a reason why he, part of the reason why he committed to Temple. Oh, uh, really? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the his ability to, uh, how do I say this? His ability to to relate to to what was going on, what's going on, you know, off, off the line world, and not just trying to stick to some old rules, something that. Most other coaches stick to. Uh, he's very open-minded, and um, he did, he does a great job of connecting with his players and developing them. And he coaches his players hard, and that's kind of hard to find now. And so to know that somebody like that is still out here, and opportunity to play for him, it was just all all here. Right then here in, in Corey Yeoman, uh, an outside linebacker, uh, again had some some good offers along the way. Looks like Temple got a um, a, a pseudo local player, kind of like staying within that that footprint again he's spending his senior season down in in uh, in florida clearwater academy but mostly uh you know for the most part a south jersey guy and here's Corey yeoman talking to caden about his playing style uh and how he plays the game i'm very versatile i can pass rush i can guard i can, I can play wherever you want me to honestly uh i play with a lot of anger a lot of violence and speed all right so temple's up to seven verbal commitments now again it'll be Interesting to see in the coming weeks how they continue to fill out this class, how many guys they ultimately take from the high school level, um, 
how many spots they'll leave you know, for the transfer portal. We'll see what happens. But again, Temple's seven verbal commitments as of now. Uh, we talked about Corey Yeoman and Jackson Pruitt, the two newest ones. And then you have Khalif Kemp uh, from Philadelphia, Kyle Lewis, Makai Green, Sam Martin, the running back from Staten Island, Reese Clark, the guy that led things off from St. Joe's Prep. So they're at seven verbals right now. Of course, we'll continue to keep you updated on uh, recruiting stuff as the uh, as the days and weeks go on. Again, Caden has been doing a great job of covering recruiting for us, uh, not only just in the class of 22 guys, uh, but some you know some guys down the line. We've got a story up on the site right now about Logan Perez, a South Jersey wide receiver, class of 2024 guy. So uh, these are the stories that you read early on. And then when it, when things start to heat up and, and they get into the actual recruiting class, you can look back and say, oh, I remember reading about that guy on alscoop.com. So uh, stay tuned to more recruiting news there. So uh, let us head over to the mailbag. We've got some stuff from the message boards. We open things up on, on Twitter as well. Uh, the first mailbag question, and what, here's where we'll get into some uh, – some of the, the recent news about um, what it looks like the American Athletic Conference is going to do with with uh, with expansion. So the first mailbag question here comes from Diamond Abroad, and the question there is: So dot dot dot. Any restaurant recommendations in Denton, Texas? So that's a reference to North Texas applying to join the American. Uh, I actually haven't actually have in the script here as I'm looking at it now. TripAdvisor tells me that the top rated, and then I never finished the sentence because I've never been to Denton, Texas. So, uh, North Texas is one of uh, six programs that's expected to uh, to join the American. So, it looks like you know uh, the league's going to examine uh, these six programs. It's expected to go through. It's going to be Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, meaning UT, University of Texas San Antonio, Rice. And University of Alabama, Birmingham, that's where things stand with Americans expansion. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on here in the mailbag. But um, yeah, can't say I have any uh, restaurant recommendations down there. I got one. one. You have one? one. You've I've never been there, but according to TripAdvisor, I'll finish your sentence. It is uh, Old West Cafe. The Old West Cafe. I looked at it earlier today. Isn't it good for breakfast? Isn't there a picture of an omelet or something like that? Yes, there is a picture of a very cheesy omelet on the front. It is a a must for breakfast if you are in town is the top review. It's a four four and a half out of five stars. Sam's waving you off as if he's been to Denton, Texas. I'm just just, uh, longing to hear his voice here and what he's going to add to this. I have never been to Denton, Texas. But you're telling me the Old West Cafe is not the most overplayed bit in all of Texas. You're going to, how many old West fill in blank, old West diner, old West lunch spot, old West. I think you're being a little harsh on the old West cafe, considering you haven't been there. You could be just you, that, that you could go down there. They could say, Sam, we're going to give you the best gluten-free omelet you have ever eaten. You could be like, this is like, this is like butter. I'm moving down here. This is great. There is Almost also a place called but, Rooster's Roadhouse. The old Rooster's just, Roadhouse. The old Rooster's there. Roadhouse. This is this is just an overplayed bit. How many? They're, they're, they're <laughs> playing too much into the old West thing. This is a really looks like an old. Thing it looks like an old saloon. It looks like an old saloon. Like be better. I'm sure it's great, but like old West Cafe. It's the laziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Would it offend you more if we started talking about driving up to Boston and just heading into Cheers, where everybody knows your name? No, that's different. Cheers is a great name. I'm like, imagine going to uh, going to Boston and you went to like Clam Chowder Inn. <laughs> that would be that would be overplaying it. Anyway, 
Sam's that's my two cents. That's my two cents. My two cents. Who knew that Denton, Texas, and the addition of North Texas, to, the potential addition of North Texas to the American would just stoke stoke the fire flames for Sam here? But I didn't see someone either. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, next question here uh, from the board comes from the screen name SoCal Al. Uh, SoCal Al's question is the mid season mark, how would you rate the impact? Of the most recent portal comings and goings on this year's team, do you pick up any negativity that may impact the upcoming portal for next season? I, we'll address that second question first. I feel like we've talked about this a million times, and I get it. Um, every week you hear stuff, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, you know, I think we've said this in several different ways. Winning cures all. If, if they're losing, all sorts of stuff comes out in the laundry. Sure, we hear stuff about some negativity about uh, this guy likes Rod Carey. That guy doesn't like Rod Carey. You know, we'll see how things go. If they finish six and six, seven and five, something like that. And they go to a bowl game. We'll see what happens, but programs across America are already starting to, to, to lose guys. I was talking to Kyle on the way home. Kyle can't be on the pod tonight, but you know, Manny Diaz has lost a couple of guys already. He's lost a couple of receivers down at Miami. And uh, I'm sure that'll make temple fans happy considering he stayed at temple for all of 18 days, but uh, there's a guy regardless of the, the job, regardless of what you think Manny Diaz is doing down at Miami, there's a coach in the ACC who's losing guys mid-season. So it is happening at a lot of places. Um, am I picking up on any negativity and hearing specifically of any guy that might leave? No, um, I'd be you know wholly irresponsible to say that. But if we get back to the first question here, uh, how would you rate the impact of the most recent comings and goings in the portal? Um, guys, what do you think of this? I think we can say off, off, off the bat, you know, that the Keyshawn Paul and Cam Ruiz have been probably two of the better additions in the portal. Again, nobody played well against Cincinnati that the game got, got out of hand, but how would you answer this question? You know, I, I the goings, I think that, that we'll get to that in a second, but who do you think the most valuable additions have been in the portal for Temple? I think for incoming through the portal, you mentioned that the obvious answer is Keyshawn Paul and Cam Ruiz both have been, um, consistent solid starters on the outside for temple's defense um offensively i think when i don't have his numbers in front of me rayvon bonner when he's healthy has been a pretty serviceable back they've had a uh, by committee approach through now six games but he's moved up to second on the depth chart so there's obviously some confidence in uh in what he's been able to do in just a short amount of time being here that's probably the other name that would stick out to me and well, then obviously, obviously Mathis. Dewan Mathis's performance. I almost said Justin Lynch. Dewan Mathis's performance against like, Memphis. And you're like three quarters Justin, of the way through Justin Lynch. So you pretty Justin. much said Justin Lynch. Dante's anyway. Laughing. I didn't mean to set that kind of way too forceful. It was very gotcha-esque. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're good. I'll back off. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the guys that they got have been pretty as advertised. I would say I think that uh, obviously, Mathis struggled against Cincinnati, but we saw him when he was at his best against Memphis. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I wrote this in the in the story after the game. Like, yeah, it's about what we expected, right? Big, athletic kid, nice arm, a lot of potential. I think you have to hope that he sticks around for a couple years and really develops because I think he could be something. I really do. I think that he has NFL caliber tools. Does he get to that point? I don't know, but I, I think he's been about as what you can expect. Both the corners, I think, have been very good. I think Keyshawn Paul's been really good. Cameron Ruiz has been really good. Um, 
I really think that Ahmad Anderson's starting to come on, at least on the offensive end as a punt returner. I don't know. We might have to have a couple questions about catch that. The ball. <laughs> yeah. So, but as a receiver, I, I think that he's about what you expected, right? He's explosive. He's fast. He gives you uh, a little bit more juice in the open field than somebody like Jaden blue. And I think that, you know, getting him the ball more is going to make this offense a little bit better. So I think they hit on a, a ton of guys out of the portal. I really do. Uh, I think like, you know, some of the guys that you point to maybe haven't performed as well. It'd be like the guys on the defensive lines, so like Will Rogers, Quavion Mahone, you know, how much have we called their names this year? I feel like the only time we talk about Will Rogers is when he's offside. So, mm-hmm. um, I think those guys maybe have, have underperformed a little bit, but largely speaking, I, I think they did a really good job in the portal. I think they got, you know, players who are serving roles. They're starting, they're producing. I mean, Amon Anderson scored the closing touchdown for you against Memphis. You know, you've been able to rely on Cameron Weese and Keyshawn Paul. They've helped you had, you know, what is it? The ninth best passing defense in the country right now, even though Cincinnati kind of took it to you last week, you're still a top 10 passing defense. Like, I think that's about as good as you can ask for. And then Mathis looks like he's what was advertised. And again, you know, transfer portals, a lot of uncertainty. I think overall they did a, they did a really good job, honestly. Yeah. In terms of the goings, I think it's the, the, obviously the biggest loss. And we've been talking about this ever since it happened was Arnold Abichetti has 31 tackles and four sacks at Penn state looks every bit as good as he was at temple. Um, Anthony Russo's, sitting on the bench at, at Michigan state, but maybe loving life because Michigan state's undefeated in a top 25 team. And uh, maybe he's just Isaiah Graham Mobley too. Isaiah Graham Mobley uh, up at Boston college. Uh, Ifa Maje, kind of a rotational guy up at Rutgers. I mean, he played well against temple, which was of course, you know, actually delivered that last hit that, that kind of knocked uh, Dwan Mathis out of the game. I mean, that had kind of been building up. We saw Mathis uh, limping around in that game. Maje has uh 10 tackles, five solo stops, a sack and a half. So he's, you know, been playing fairly well at Rutgers, but I think that would just about, um, you know, cover it. There have been some other guys, but those I think are, are top of mind names there. Um, next question here comes from D blaze 75. One of our most consistent mailbag contributors, uh, from the message board here, uh, more stuff about the offensive line. I think he makes some salient points here under rule and Collins, Jeff Collins, there was not much offensive line depth at all. Yes. We had some superstars in Hennessy, However, when an injury hit, we'd be, we'd plug in a McGowan. I think, I feel like we were just talking about this last week, a Brendan McGowan or somebody and didn't seem to miss a beat much. The current staff has a head coach that was an offensive lineman and an offensive line coach in Joe Tripodi that played at a very high level in college at Northwestern. The offensive line plays very underwhelming. Is there a problem with offensive line development? None of, of the offensive line starters or backups seem to have improved over the last three years. I, it's a fair question. I, I think that, I think that I know that Rod Carey, I don't believe he's talked about this on, on the record before that that was an area that when they came in, they wanted to build out the depth there. They didn't feel like there were enough offensive linemen in the program uh, period. Uh, but again, now we'll, we'll see. Yes. Just how good Rod Carey and Joe Tripodi will be at, at coaching and developing offensive linemen here. Again, D Blaze 75 makes a fair point. Rod Carey was a center at Indiana. Uh, Joe Tripodi played at Northwestern. So you have two guys who played, offensive line in the big 10 does a big you know of course any conference would like to say yes we like to develop offensive linemen but in the big 10 it's it's definitely a thing so um i i don't know where and we're, we're really going to find out over the next couple of years you know did they inherit some guys that have just kind of peaked and no matter what you do with isaac moore uh you know um 
that you, you just can't get enough out of them, no matter how much you coach them up. You know, CJ Perez was a guy that they obviously liked at, at Northern Illinois. We never thought he was going to be Matt Hennessy, but again, I don't, I don't think he's played particularly well, but yeah, again, to me, I just keep coming back to this. They, they have to hope that, that Jim Tuobadegu uh, is going to be really something for them, like a foundational tackle that, that Bryce Tolman is going to be the heir apparent to CJ Perez and be better than CJ Perez, that Wisdom Quarshi continues to develop, that Sam Davis, Rich Rodriguez, you know, Victor Stoffel, these are the guys that, that, that have to be good for you. So um, it's a fair question that to, to ask D-Blaze 75, could there be a problem with offensive line development? I, I can't say definitively right now that there isn't a problem with it. You know, we just have to see if, if they're quote unquote guys, whether it's the transfer portal additions or the guys that they bring in are going to be better. They have to be, because if they're not, I don't think the staff gets it done at temple eventually. And I think they'll, they'll be doing uh, another coaching search in another season or two. If they, if they can't get it turned around on the offensive line, but I'll turn it over to you guys to see what you think of this one. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that we'll find out more about, um, how they handle the offensive line next year because they'll be forced to play more of their guys, right? So, like, all of the, the carryovers will be gone at that point. Um, and I I really agree with what you said there at the well, end. Klein John. could come back. Yeah, well, Klein could come back. That is true. Yeah, Klein could come back. And um, I believe Isaac Moore will be back too, uh, technically. But, you know, I think that what you said at the end there is really important, like, they have to get this figured out. Um, you know, it is a, a constant thing that good football teams have good offensive lines. Uh, and if you cannot block, you know, in the running game, like Temple hasn't been able to do for two straight years, and now it's kind of a little bit of both, it seems like things have regressed. Because, you know, last year, you look at that line, they actually pass protected really well last year. Mm. Um, they, they were one of the top pass protecting lines in, in, the, in college football. So, it seems like there's a little bit of regression there. And anytime you see regression, that's obviously a problem. So we'll see. I, I think that you're right though. Like if they don't get it figured out, if they don't get this line, at least average, you know, to where, you know, you can run the ball a little bit and, and you can still hold up in pass protection. They're not going to win a lot of games and they're going to struggle to beat teams that are better than them, which is what we've saw this season. Um, you know, one of the easiest ways to pull an upset in college football is to control the ball on the ground and use your offensive line to kind of, you know, win in the trenches. Uh, and Temple cannot do that right now. So if they don't get that cleared up, then they're not going to beat a lot of teams that are better than them. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to beat at least a couple teams that are better than you to have a, you know, a good record at the end of the year. So big, uh, big thing will be next year is all those uh, offensive line battles in fall camp. Cause I'm assuming there'll be a ton. I don't have anything to add that you guys didn't cover. I, I would just agree with what you said about the, the younger guys, Jim to Bryce Toman, wisdom Corshi, those guys need to, kind of be the heir to whatever this is now and need to be better than the group ahead of them. And they're to, to Dante's point when, uh, when they're moving in the wrong direction, there needs to be some kind of improvement on a year to year basis. Yeah. If you, if you look back and I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, if you look back to the 2015 season, when they started off seven and zero, and the 2016 season, when they, they won a conference championship, if you look at some of these names, the night that they played, if you're looking at Temple's biggest primetime moment, and again, I'm pointing to a loss, but the, the eyes of the nation are on, on, on the Temple football program. The Eagles are on a bye week. They're playing Notre Dame. You know, they're, they're playing you know, a, a team with, with a bunch of future pros, you know, Quentin Nelson, Ronnie Stanley in the offensive line, you know, Deshaun Kaiser's their quarterback. 
uh, CJ Procise, like a, just a, a bunch of former for, uh, future pros, of course, Will Fuller, um, you know, Jalen Smith, at linebacker. And, and the offensive line that Temple started that night was Kyle Friend, who was a very, very good college center, uh, tried making it in the NFL as an undrafted rookie free agent, gave it a shot as, as a as a fullback, didn't make it in the NFL, but I mean, Kyle Fram was a very, very good college center was just, was just kind of undersized. Not that most centers are, are, you know, six, three, six, four, all the time. You can get away with being a, a bit of a shorter center, but Kyle Fram was certainly, was certainly a very solid college center. Shabazz Ahmed, solid, not a future pro. I believe he's back at Temple working as a, as a academic advisor. Deion Dawkins is your one future pro there at left tackle. Who's now a very good player with the Buffalo Bills. Eric Lofton at right guard and Leon Johnson at right tackle. That was their, that was their offensive line. I, I can't say that you look at those guys and you say, Oh, they just, you know, th- that was a, those guys were part of like this star studded class. They were, they were solid players that just developed and were, and were good enough week in and week out. And were, were good enough to, you know, to, to beat a Penn state and, you know, put together a pretty good season. So it's not like, you know, you had four future pros on that line. These are names that Temple fans will know, but when, when Temple was recruiting this current group, you'd say, okay, Isaac Morris from Sweden, he's athletic. He's got some good measurables. Maybe they can develop him. He's kind of been inconsistent, but yeah, I think really a lot of eyes are going to be on what Rod Carey and, and Joe Chaproti do with this, with this group to, to see what happens. And, you know, and again, I mean, this is pure speculation on my end, but like if they finish six and six, five and seven and guys like Isaac Moore and Adam Klein are like, I'm going to hit the portal and see what life is like elsewhere. I'm not saying they're going to leave. I don't I don't know. But, you know, you see what Obadegu and and some of these other guys can can do. But this is going to be a big, big focus for them. So, um, again, it has to get better again if it doesn't if it doesn't get better, then uh, I don't know that they're really going to be able to, to get things turned around here. Um, next question comes from TU Owls fan 2004. Thoughts on the six additions that are reported to be invited to the American from both a basketball and football perspective. Obviously, rougher from a Hooper's perspective outside of UAB and Charlotte. I mean, I think that I agree with you, TU Owls fan 2004. I think that hits the nail on the head there. I don't. I, people really aren't going to be happy with this from a basketball perspective. It's not, you know, these aren't sexy names to begin with from, from either side of the coin, whether it's basketball or football. I know the temple fans want to see temple move on to a bigger and better conference like the big 12 or the ACC. We'll see if that ever happens uh, of course. But um, as of now, if you're looking at it from a football perspective, those six programs are combined 22 and 16 in football this season. Uh, we've talked about this before. I think when we were talking about what UTSA did uh, to Memphis, uh, they're seven and zero and ranked twenty fourth in the latest AP poll. So they're a good team. It's just that they don't have the the name, you know, the staying power of some other programs. North Texas, uh, we were talking about them before. Uh, they're just one and five this season. They're zero and three in conference USA. They had two four win seasons in 2020 and 2019. They were pretty good back in 2017 and 2018. They were nine and five and nine and four. Um, UAB's had some good things going for them. They're five and two. Uh, Temple's former associate AD Mark Ingram is the AD down there. He's doing a lot of good stuff. They just opened a brand new stadium. Uh, UAB was good in basketball last season at 22 and seven. They're they're the early favorite to to win Conference USA this year. Uh, Charlotte's been okay in basketball, not great, but yeah, I mean, they're, this kind of is what it is. They added some of the better teams in conference USA has the potential to be good um, 
for, you know, for, for football, um, not so much for basketball. I know that's, you know, I'm not really adding, uh, you know, too much there, but, um, I don't know. Any additional thoughts on this guys? Just decent for football, bad for hoops. I mean, just speaking generally, this, this feels like the move that is for the money for Texas and for a long term to help the American. It's the hope that these programs from a football perspective are trending in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I think it's blatant that basketball is, is, it is what it is, but it's, it's the American is moving closer to Texas and, uh, it's a money deal. Yeah. I, I talked to Kyle about this on, on the way home. This will be Kyle's contribution to the pod on my phone conversation with him and I, not actually being on the show, but I am, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this, but if I, if I read one more tweet from John Rothstein romanticizing the Atlantic 10, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to throw up on my mouth and spit it on my computer screen, which is kind of disgusting when I think about it, but I, I just, you know, uh, at, at, unless things change, uh, and again, uh, Kyle pointed this out on Twitter, Pete Dammel's reporting was really good on this. It's better financially for Temple to be in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, going back to the Atlantic 10, just for basketball, stupid move. You have fewer games on TV. Some of your games are, are, are going to be just like on, on websites that most people have never heard of. Uh, you already play St. Joe's and LaSalle every year. Um, I, I just, I, I don't get it. Stay in the conference right now. That's a better financial option for you. If, if for basketball, you're going to have to schedule your way around it. If you're Aaron McKee and you really believe in the old mantra of your former late great head coach and John Chaney, play anyone, anywhere, anytime, you don't like your conference schedule, put together a good non-conference schedule. Go out there and really beef up your schedule. Try to get Duke, try to get Kansas, try to get North Carolina. I know it's, of course, it's easier said than done, but I get it. I get it, but you know, Temple, I think, tried to, you know, and there's a, a question later on uh, from the I Believe guy on, on Twitter about the the whole lineage of this stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it kind of is what it is at this point. Temple's not in a great spot. But, uh, Sam, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're hoping that these programs will trend in the right direction for football. I don't know that they'll ever be basketball powerhouses, but kind of just uh, uh, is what it is here. Um, next question from the mailbag. Um, from off the hook three is the Twitter handle. Another, uh, another offensive line question. Temple's experience along the offensive line. The recruiting has been decent. They got a Juco all American. That was uh, Rich Rodriguez, right? Was the Juco all American. Uh, I believe so. Why is the offensive line played poorly overall? They even struggled against Wagner at times, which I would agree with. Is it the O line and the strength coaches? I, I can't say that I have great, great knowledge of what they're, you know, what their lifting regimen is, but yeah, I, again, I hear you. We hear you. The offensive line play has been poor. Um, is it the coaching? Is it the strength coaching? I don't know. Either way, you know, Rod Carey had said, and I'm paraphrasing here that that was something that was obviously a point of emphasis. You heard the clip earlier. They feel like they worked on it in the bye week We'll see if that's true. You know, here's, here's a, um, as Dante said earlier, here, here's a week for them to go out and feel really good about themselves from, you know, both perspectives but certainly a run blocking perspective, but yeah, we're going to keep getting these questions about the offensive line. And, and uh, as long as they continue to play poorly, these are the questions we're going to get. Is it the coaching? Is it this? Is it that? Um, final question here again, from the, at the, I believe guy, uh, JDC and crew, can you run down the history of temple athletics since the nineties 
when they were in the Big East in the A-10 and the decisions slash non-decisions slash factors along the way that have shaped uh, independent MAC, Atlantic uh, American Athletic Conference, Temple Athletics, and to where we are today in this new hodgepodge American Athletic Conference. Um, it's a... It's a great question to answer it with enough depth and breadth. You, we'd probably have to sit here for, you know, and I think he said, I think he said it in his message to us. You could probably spend an entire podcast talking about it. And, and he's correct. Um, you know, the, the cliff notes version of this would be that, you know, so much centers around David Adamani. Um, he had a starkly different view of, of, of athletics and his predecessor, Peter Leah chorus, um, you know, uh, and again, a lot of you who are familiar with Temple Athletics and, and are around my age and their mid 40s, mid 30s, or even late 20s, you know, this stuff already. Uh, you know, a task force was created in 2004 to determine the future of Temple football, and he voted to disband the program at a time when Temple really needed support from its president on this. And, and you know, again, uh, David Adamani has, has, uh, has passed away. Pierre Leah Chorus has passed away. Uh, an athletic director that was, that was along the ride, uh, before Bill Bradshaw was Dave O'Brien. He sadly has passed away too. I, I'm not trying to make it sound like there were any easy solutions here. Um, and Temple had been struggling, uh, in the big East, um, you know, certainly before this, and uh, I think that the Temple News did some really good reporting on this, again, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm their advisor, so I'm, I might sound a little biased on this, but um, my friend Joey Craney, who's now an investigative reporter uh, down at the uh, Times-Picayune in New Orleans, had done a really good piece uh, back in, I think, 2013. It was around the time the Temple was about to rejoin the Big East, um, and they kind of took a look at the lineage of this, and I think they had talked to George Moore at the time. And um, I mean, the, the easiest thing to say, and again, it's easier said than done, was if you look at some of the touch points along the way, had Temple been able to invest more in resources when they were in the Big East? I mean, it sounds simple. Stay in the Big East, hold on to the Big East, don't get kicked out of the Big East. We're having a very different conversation uh, at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, I'm trying to think of the right way to, to say this fairly and, and not go on and on here, but, you know, they had their issues with, you know, facilities, competitiveness. They were playing at Veterans Stadium um, you know, they, for a long time when they were in the big East, yes, the, the big East, you know, uh, articulated their concerns to temple. You're not competitive. Your facilities aren't good. Uh, George Moore had said, uh, in the story that the temple news did about eight years ago now that I believe George Moore had said that, you know, that the faculty strike in the nineties had really te hurt temple from a financial perspective. And it certainly did enrollment declined. Uh, they weren't drawing fans. They didn't have a ton of money to put into athletics, um, uh, it would be so easy for me to re retroactively go back and say, do this, do that. There are all sorts of minutiae to this, but had Temple been able to better manage things back in the nineties and stay in the big East and stay competitive. Um, again, we're having a different conversation. It, would things have been different if, you know, if a different president other than David Adamani comes in and would a different president have been able to, you know, really mobilize things and say, hold on, no, we're, we're, you're not, you know, we're, we're not going to get kicked out of the Big East. Now, again, Temple was was told, by, I believe, back in 2001 that they were going to kick get kicked out of the Big East, and they managed to negotiate things to slow things down and say, give us till 2004. But, you know, I don't – maybe if the faculty strike doesn't happen, maybe if Temple is able to get a facility like Edinburgh Olson Hall built earlier, um, you know, there was always that that thought. You know, there were always some games when Temple was in the Big East. They would they would hang around with some pretty good teams. I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. It was fun 
they would they would have some competitive moments against the likes of Miami and Virginia Tech and Boston College and West Virginia. And then there was a moment where that team would just blow the barn doors off of them and everything would come unraveled. So obviously it's like Adam Annie's a key figure in this. If Temple had been able to stay in the Big East, different conversation. After that, I think the Temple has done about all the Temple could do. You know, they played the one season as an independent. They played a, a, a schedule against some some more prominent teams just to, to make some money. They got their butts kicked in by Minnesota, by Virginia, by who um, they played Wisconsin. Uh, and then they they got into the Mac as an affiliate member, then as a full fledged member. But that was a good conference for them to be in. Uh, and of course, the hiring of Al Golden was key. And um, you know, then when when and this kind of brings me back to my point where we're romanticizing things now, where people say, "Oh, well, Temple should go back to the A10." When Temple had the opportunity to get back into the Big East, you say yes. There's no way you say no to that. And they were able to get back into the Big East for one season right away. And then, again, they will never admit to it that I think they've tried to deny it, but Villanova absolutely had a hand in slowing things down and not allowing basketball to get in right away. And in that season, Villanova and the other primary basketball schools took their toys and got out of there, got the, kept the name, paid for the name, paid for the, you know, the iconic venue and Madison Square Garden for their tournament, and they left, and they did what was best for them. I don't know the Temple could have done anything different. I think that really... The, the lineage of this thing really starts in the 90s. That's really the foundation of it that would kind of really, really explain why Temple is, as the I Believe guy is saying here, this hodgepodge American Athletic Conference. And, and again, uh, you know, Jack's been around a long time. I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know. And I'm not telling most of you listening to this podcast anything you don't know. I think a lot of this started in that foundation. Had things been better had Temple been better positioned to succeed and stay in the Big East in the 90s, we're having a different conversation. Beyond that, I think they've they've kind of been just scraping. They, you know, they got the deal done with the Eagles, but the Eagles had all the leverage there with the link. Um, and you know, that now Temple's, you know, paying the Eagles rent to play their games at Lincoln Financial Field. So we'll see what happens in the future. Again, as Kyle said last week, and we've said a bunch of times on this podcast, anybody who claims that they know definitively what's going to happen with conference realignment is lying through their teeth. So that's my best stab at that answer. Um, Sam's giving me a thumbs up. Yeah. A couple of thumbs up from here. Dating back to the nineties, that was pre Dante and I's existence. Uh, Obviously neither of us have been around or covering the following temple. Yep. On the, on the record calling you. (laughs) Um, Neither of us have been around covering temple athletics the way for as long as you have dating back to your time in college or even just been following the program. So John, well done. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and I mean, it, it is, it's a, it's a shame because, you know, um, honestly, you know, you could look back at, I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame to say, but you know, some of the key players in this, um, you know, some of the names I, I just, you know, I just mentioned, uh, you know, who, who were part of this and, you know, David Adam he's passed away. Um, you know, Peter Leocoris has, has passed away. Even George Moore, who had been a longtime university counsel at Temple, who had talked to the Temple News for that story, he passed away too young at the age of 67. So, you know, um, again, it's been an interesting case study. And that's why the revival of the Temple football program was so significant and, and so fun to cover when you, you realize now, like, 
what they were facing, what they were up against, what, you know, why Al Golden was such an important hire, why it was one of the best, best decisions of, of Bill Bradshaw's career. And then those guys go into Temple's Athletics Hall of Fame together. So, you know, again, like the, the heavy lifting that Al Golden did, making the decision to hire Matt Rule, you can see where things started to, to come together. Um, I, I couldn't really point to any recent decisions where I would be able to tangibly say, oh, if Temple had done this five years ago or three years ago, they'd be in the, in the big 12 or, or the ACC by now, but with the, with the A-10 stuff, get the hell out of here. I mean, just, just stop it. I know that sounds harsh, but I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? Do you think that, I know you're not, you're younger, you're going to say I'm old, which, which I am, but uh, I mean, would you ever, I know we're kind of going off on a different tangent here. I mean, does Temple just kind of have to stay where they are and see what happens in the future? Do you think there's any shred in either one of your minds that would say, okay, Temple should be an independent for football or, try to break into the A-10 for basketball? I can try to try to answer this. I think there's two options for Temple. You either, Well, I guess technically three. You, uh, if you're Temple, you either get worse at everything or get, you end up getting worse at both football and basketball. Hypothetically, neither Rod Carey or Aaron McKee make their, not make their programs any better, and you're hanging on for dear life because the American is then a great option for you. You could – stay the same. Uh, and then you end up kind of in just like a lull of you're just staying in the American or somehow in the next five to 10 years, you get significantly better. And as Kyle said, obviously no one knows going to happen in the next decade or so with conference realignment, but that's the other option is that both programs get significantly better, uh, and find their way into a power five conference. But I think for right now, as Kyle said, as you said, as we've talked about, like, this seems like probably the best case scenario for Temple is that they're their basketball team, their basketball program is moving in the right direction. You, the hope is that Rod Carey can uh, boost the football program in the right direction. And the American has the money and the TV deals and the resources. And I think right now they're in an okay place. And I think it was Kyle that said like, this doesn't really affect them. Like Temple isn't super affected by it uh, in terms of inner impact. Um, well, I mean, they're, I, I mean, they're, they're certainly affected by, you know, by, by Cincinnati and UCF and, and sure, sure. leaving definitely, certainly Cincy and, um, and yeah, I want to misquote, basketball. I want to misquote Kyle. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I think I know like the crux of what you're saying. It's like, you know, what can they do? And that sounds like a defeatist attitude. And again, well, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. When Arthur Johnson was asked about it a couple of weeks ago, he said, well, we have to win in our current conference and he's right. And it, people expecting him to win the press conference by, making these great superlative promises you don't you don't want an athletic director is going to do that and say yeah we're going to get into the big 12 we're going to get into the acc and then it doesn't happen you just you just can't do that uh the piece that i was referring to before that that kyle highlighted from pete uh pete Thamel's reporting and I'll, I'll just read this verbatim and i think it's important to to realize because this goes into like the financial viability and sustainability of an athletic department and it is important i get that these names utsa north texas charlotte they're not the names that are going to excite a fan base, especially in a pro sports city. But again, consider this, and this is from Pete conference USA schools currently receive less than a million dollars annually in television revenue. The amount they will receive is still being finalized, meaning the, the amount they'll receive in joining the American, but the television revenue will be more than $2 million at the start of the deal and rise significantly from there. Incumbent American athletic conference members are still expected to average about $7 million annually over the course of the current ESPN television deal, which runs through 2031, 2032. 
if that holds true, and again, I, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a media rights lawyer, so I, I don't know if that will hold true or if ESPN will try to wiggle out of that. I don't know. But if that holds true, then, hey, kudos to Mike Oresco for getting a pretty good deal done. And again, Temple needs that money. Now, you know, Temple, I'm sure they would never say this on the record. Yeah, in 2031, 32, if you look ahead in your crystal ball and they'd say, sure, we'd love to be in the ACC by that point or the Big 12 or whatever. Who knows if there'll be conferences at that point? Maybe we'll be playing on the moon in 2032. Maybe we'll get real crazy with things here. So maybe they'll be sure we're going to be alive by 2032. So yeah, who knows, man? Maybe they'll be in the Milky Way conference. Maybe they'll be playing on the outer Saturn. Let's get really weird with this. Let's just go totally off the rails. Instead of answering, what does the last 30 years look like for Temple? What is what's the next 30 years going to look like for humanity? We'll, we'll just so, totally pod with like x-ray glasses and put on tinfoil hats and just go really <laughs> Dante, you guys can't see this dante just like just just rubbed his eyes and like did the thing for like he's wearing his glasses and like rubbed his eyes and just moved his glasses up like a like a frustrated professor who's just not getting his teaching point across like people i am, I am laughing <laughs> i would not want that to come through like i am laughing this is this is objectively funny that we're talking about playing football on the moon at the end of a temple football podcast last week it was i was i was like depression era radio guy this 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 week um outer space outer space guy you know you never know what's going to happen on the scoop you never know never ever know anyway thanks for sticking with us for another week thank you to all of you for your mailbag questions we'll be with you next week to talk about uh, the temple usf game again uh any recruiting developments uh that come along again check out the site for uh caden Steele's recruiting coverage uh big thank you to uh to sam and dante for joining me once again we'll talk to you guys soon